I was reading a story about a, na- a lady named Agatha Burgess. Agatha Burgess. She's almost 90 years old, and she lives in the small town of Buffalo, South Carolina. Um, she gets up every morning at 5 o'clock. Bless her heart, you know. Uh, 5 a.m., I, uh, I remember the... Um, I, I do a CrossFit workout, and, and there's a 5 o'clock class, and we always joke about the, the 4 o'clock class, too, and a 5 o'clock class, and a 6 o'clock class, by the way. And um, the 5 o'clock people have a reputation because they're crazy. Who gets up at, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock to go work out? Agatha Burgess gets up at 5 o'clock every morning and starts cooking. She's done this for over 20 years now. She begins cooking at 5 o'clock so that at 11 o'clock, a group of volunteers can come by her house and pick up meals for the Meals on Wheels, if you're familiar with that, the Meals on Wheels organization, and they take those meals and they begin to pass them out to uh, other folks or elderly people that just can't prepare for themselves, can't cook for themselves, and um, she, she does that starting at 5 o'clock in the morning. By noon, so she's still cooking, another group of people come to Agatha's house, and we're talking mill workers, judges, truck drivers, wh- whoever it is, anyone is welcome at Agatha's place to get their fill of food. She serves an all-you-can-eat kitchen, and it's not a buffet, but if they, they, she gives them a plate, and if they finish it, she'll give them another plate until they're tired of eating. She does all that for $2.75. Now, Agatha knows that $2.75 is too much for some people, so she will, if somebody doesn't pay, they eat and they don't pay, she just doesn't say anything because she wants to help people. She was, and, and how I got a hold of this, she was, they did an interview, uh, wrote an article about her, did an interview, and they asked her in the interview, why, right? Why, at 90 years old, are you waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, cooking all this food, giving to Meals on Wheels, and then serving lunch to whoever, and th- there's a, a great conglomeration of people from mill workers to judges who are eating at Agatha's house she says I do this because I love it I always and listen to this I always wanted to be a person that lived by the side of the road and could be called a friend to mankind I always wanted to be somebody who could live by the side of the road and be called a friend to mankind She said that she would continue to do this until she died because it's what she lives for. Because she wants to be a friend to the people. Isn't that an awesome story? And and what Agatha does is a living example of the very thing I want to talk about today. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter uh, 22. Matthew chapter 22. And by the way, the message notes will be found in the uh, Bible app today if you'd like to go there or tune in to the uh, church's app. And you can find them there as well. The Bible app, find the live event for today's message. Matthew chapter 22. All right, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, we all know this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We've heard that our whole lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
This passage of, of Scripture is something we've heard our whole lives. It's something I've even preached on before, but even talked about it a little bit last week. Not this particular Scripture, but this idea. This morning, I want to, if you will indulge me, I want to take a new look with fresh eyes. Look at it differently. Think about it differently. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself what it means to love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind? Have you ever stopped to think what that looks like? All right, so let's talk about first the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment according to Jesus. The passage we just read was first spoken in Deuteronomy 6, 5. And it, and it reads this way there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, and all your strength. So I think it would be fair to say for us to understand what it means to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We need to understand what these things meant to the ancient Hebrews. Don't you think? Let's dig in there and look at in context when they said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what, what did those words mean for them? To the Hebrews, these words meant something very specific. All right, and here it is. The heart was the place where decisions were made, where emotions were felt, where thinking was done, where secrets were hidden, where desires came from. That's the heart. So, you could feel with your heart, think with it, hide things in it, and desire with it. Make sense? You guys staying up with that? All right, so let's look at the soul. The soul was the place where decisions were made, emotions were felt, thinking was done, secrets were hidden, and desires came from. So again, it may... It's a place you could decide with, you could feel with your soul, think with it, hide things in it, and desire with it. And guess what? What do you do with your mind? <laughs> you probably guessed right. Decide, think, feel, hide, and desire. As I was looking this up, it confused me. I didn't understand. But it, in, for, for the ancient Hebrew culture, they used these words really interchangeably. Heart, soul, and mind are used in reference to each other so they could interchange those words. So what's the point then? Why, does, why is it said this way, this way? All three of these really refer to the same thing. So, so what's the point of the passage? Why emphasize it? Why say it three times the same thing? When the Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength, it means that we are to love God with everything that we have. Pretty simple. Love God with everything that you have. Love God with every part of your being, with every facet of who you are, with every thought that you have, with every decision that you make, with every place that you go. Love God with everything you have. And this love of God is a total commitment. It, it's a total obedience to God. There is a professor of theological ethics, and he opened his class by reading a letter uh, from a concerned parent to a government official. And in this letter, the parent complained that um, 
his son had received a good education, had gone to all the right schools, was headed to uh, a job as a lawyer, had gotten involved with uh, a religious sect, though. The father continued that members of this sect controlled his every move, told him who he could hang out with, told him who he could or couldn't date. They had taken all of his money. The parent pleaded with the government official, please do something about this crazy religious cult. As part of the discussion, the professor said, which cult is this parent talking about? So there was a great discussion there. Some said maybe he was the Branch Davidians. Some others said maybe uh, he was curious about the, or he had joined the, the there's a cult that believes that there's a spaceship at the tail of Halley's Comet. Have you heard about this one? And the, the, the spaceship in the tail of Halley's Comet is where you all can go when you die. It's an interesting cult. They argued about it 15 minutes before the professor revealed that this was from a third century Roman parent concerned about a group of people called Christians. Maybe it doesn't sound quite so crazy, right? The greatest command is loving God with everything that you have. It means being willing to follow our freely chosen master. The one to whom we are completely allegiant and, and attentive to and who we adore. When this command of God was first given, it was surrounded in context by a demand to obedience. So when Jesus spoke this, everybody listening would have understood what he was talking about because they had read Deuteronomy. And so let's do that now. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I'll just point out there, you should do a word study on that because it's... It's a Trinitarian statement. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, is spoken in, um, in a, a complex way that they wrote that in the Hebrew. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Sounds a little bit like everywhere and every place and all the time, right? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see, love means obedience. <coughs> Man, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? Stay with me for a minute, and, and we're going to get to there to that place, okay? So, so just hang with me. Love means obedience. Obedience isn't necessarily that God has his thumb on us. 
And he's saying, do this and don't do that. Thumb on you with one hand, lightning bolt in the other, ready to strike you or squeeze you at any minute. That's not what obedience is. We have this idea that, that love is some kind of a, a warm and fuzzy emotional feeling. I wish I could say that's what love is, but I can't. And you know that. Anybody who has a relationship with somebody that they love, if it's a husband or wife or a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé or brother or sister or parent, you love somebody, you know that love is not always a warm, fuzzy emotional feeling sometimes love is a commitment Teresa's out of town right now to see her um, her, her dad and uh, they're on the way back today this morning and I say that because we have a, a she has the kids with her we have a rotation at our house of turn to do the dishes right <laughs> the dishes get done and you know and Caden just got put in the rotation, by the way. Heaven help us teaching an eight-year-old to do dishes. is a, It's a whole process. But anyway, so, you know, Morgan's turn, and then Maddie's turn, and then Caden's turn, and then Morgan's turn, and then Maddie's turn, and Teresa's always behind them saying, yeah, you didn't do this right, and you need to do that, and you need to wipe this down, and this dish doesn't go here, and we need to, and you didn't wipe this plate off before you put it in the dishwasher, and, you know, the things that happens with dishes. It's teaching. It's, it's frustrating sometimes. But So I'm telling you the whole thing because talking about love is not always a warm and fuzzy feeling. Well, I didn't want her and the kids to come home to a dirty house, so I did the dishes last night. <laughs> right? And uh, not that it's, it's, it's a family job. I'm not saying it's Teresa's job. Um, she would punch me if she heard me say that I thought it was her job because it's not. But love in that respect is me wanting them to come home to something already done right it's a it's me showing i love them now doing those dishes was not a warm and fuzzy feeling in fact it was kind of a gross and sticky and icky feeling but we got it done it, love is not always an emotion remember we talked last week when we and we said in john 14 15 if you love me jesus said then what you will obey what i command really is countercultural. When I was in college, it, it was uh, a big deal, and I don't, I don't know if it still is in the college culture. You guys can tell me. It was a big deal to be countercultural, to do something against the grain. Probably you all know somebody like that. They do something that's out of the ordinary, something that's, that's different. They want to act different, behave different. If short socks were in, they would wear tall socks. You understand? Like over their knees. Or if regular colors were in, they would wear polka dots, countercultural. If they wore a hat, they're going to wear a fedora. You know, something countercultural. They would wear sandals in the snow. Why are you doing that? You can't tell me what to do. If I wear sandals in the snow, <laughs> I'm in college now, you know. It was crazy. People, people do silly things. They're trying to be countercultural. I think the reason is, is that as people begin to uh, explore and try to find themselves they're doing things like that you know I have some friends that that were just like this in fact there's things that I did that were just like that I still do we don't have a softball team here but I always play softball in a bucket hat you know it's just different it's funny 
I heard a story about some, some people who were in this mold and they were uh, sitting outside of a, a store and they were goofing off. Uh, they had a break and they were goofing off and, and an older gentleman came walking by them and while they're goofing off, they expected the usual response and it happened to them all the time. Somebody would come by and say, oh, I just don't know what's happened to kids these days, you know. And, and of course, the kids would then say something very um, spiritual like, well, Jesus loves us anyway, <laughs> You guys have seen that experience. That as a youth pastor, I, I would hear that. Everybody, the teen's excuse to shout something is, well, Jesus loves us, or Jesus loves you. Probably it's good that they do that because people look, oh, Jesus loves weirdos. That's good. <laughs> Jesus loves us anyway is their usual response, but this time it was a little bit different. This, uh, this gentleman, when he walked by, he got to the kids and... and um, he saw them, and when he got there, he said, hey, you guys want to do something rebellious? You want to do something really counter-cultural, unusual, distinct, extraordinary, even downright weird? By this time, this older gentleman had their full attention. They were fully tuned in to him. He looked at them, and he smiled and said, if that's what you want, then you should go out and love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Because people just won't get it. <laughs> it makes sense, right? If we love God this way, it's countercultural. If we truly do, if we give Him our everything, if we love Him like this, you know, I think many of us stop short a little bit. We sell ourselves short because we're nervous to step into the countercultural. We're nervous to step into that extra space. I have to tell you, though, I would rather be out of sorts with the world than with God. So that's the first greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we're loving what Jesus called the greatest commandment, we're truly loving God this way, then we will find ourselves in obedience to God. And that's what I was trying to tell you. He doesn't hold it over our head he doesn't say you must obey me he draws us into this deeply compelling love relationship with him and when we're there we find that we just we want to obey him we just want to do it we want to follow him we want to do what he wants we want to be with him and that's why in my prayer i stopped short i don't think god wants to use us now we'll say that that's become kind of the, the christian jargon meaning we want to partner with god to to do what he wants. I don't think God wants to use us. We're not a hammer to him. We're his partners to reach the world. So if God wants to do something, he's going to partner with us. And out of this love comes a desire not only to be obedient to God, but to love each other. And this, according to Jesus, is the second greatest commandment. And we, uh, it's something we've mentioned every Sunday in the, the Summer of Love series. Um, John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then again in 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Here's something else you've heard me say. It would seem from reading the scriptures that the best way to love God is by loving his children. The best way to show God you love him is to love his children. As Agatha Burgess put it, a person who lives by the side of the road, someone who is a friend to people. I think we probably understand this better than most of you might think. When I was a, a young 
when I was a youth pastor just starting out, uh, I can remember, I wasn't even old enough to rent a van. <laughs> you, you know, you have to be 25 to be able to rent a van, and we would have too many teens go somewhere, and we'd have to rent a van, and I wasn't old enough. It was a frustrating time. Um, anyway, so when I was a, a young uh, youth pastor just starting in the ministry, I was, wasn't married yet. I was in Grand Prairie. I moved from Midland to Grand Prairie, so I was in the big city, you know, I was in the Metroplex, and I'd always lived in a small West Texas town, and uh, was out there by myself, and Cerise and I were engaged, but we weren't married yet, and she still lived in Midland, and you know, I was having the time of my life, man, I was, I was on my own, I was a college graduate, I was in ministry, doing my dream, reaching people, um, a youth pastor's job is one of the best jobs in the world, because you just get to, you know, like, go play paintball and call it work it was awesome so we we were always doing things like that and um my parents were going to come visit for the first time i remember they they came over they were going to visit they stayed for a little while and they came to church with me on on that sunday and um i think they came on saturday and, and then just left on sunday you know it wasn't a long trip for them but I remember that they came, and I was completely ignored as they talked to my pastor, Rollmeyer, by the way, if you remember Pastor Rollmeyer. Um, they, they began to talk to him, and they just thanked him for uh, taking me in, thanked him for loving me, thanked him for um, being a part, took him to lunch, paid for his lunch, and the whole time, I was really nearly ignored. Like, they didn't talk to me at all. They didn't. So it was as if they came to visit him and not me. But they were so happy that this man loved their son. Am, am I making sense? Like, they, they wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted to do something nice for him. They were expressing their gratitude to him because he loved me. I don't think I quite grabbed it but at the time, but as time has gone on, I get it better. The, the best way you can show somebody you love them is to love their kids or the people who are important to them. I can say for a fact that everybody who, is, who loves my kids, I feel an extra connection to because I know, oh, they love my kids. That means they care about me. Be good to my kids, and then I really believe you love me. I think the same probably could be said for everybody here. When Jesus asked what the second greatest, or what the greatest commandment was, he didn't hesitate. Love God with everything you have. But he followed with a, another statement that they weren't expecting. The second greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't even pause. It's, it's like as part of the same thing. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. And the second is just like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. There could have been hundreds of commands that Jesus would have chosen. We understand by John that this was kind of why Jesus came, a new command to start a new covenant. But at the time when they asked the question, he could have said, there's, there's over 600 commands, laws that they follow. This is what he chose, the one that requires us to love God's children. I think the reason he chose that is because that's the best way to love God himself. In fact, if you want to hurt God, go find somebody and don't love them. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul explains why the way we treat each other 
is so important to God. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. need to listen for just a moment to this scripture and what it's actually saying. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst? It's not singular, it's plural. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So who, what is the temple? I mean, we know our bodies are a temple, but here it's addressed differently. You together are his temple. We are his temple. And if anyone destroys his temple, in other words, if we're mean to each other, if we talk bad about each other, if we um, are not pleasant to each other, if we don't love each other, in Matthew 25, Jesus says it this way. Maybe this will bring it home. Feed the hungry. Because when you feed the hungry, you feed me. When you house the homeless, you shelter me. When you visit the imprisoned, you visit me. For some strange, inexplicable reason, something we just can't understand or explain, God identifies so closely with us that our pain becomes His. So when we are loved, He is loved. You see, we are his body, and he is our soul. Is this sinking in? I, got, I mean, are you guys getting this? I'm not going too deep, am I? I hope at home I can't see you nod your head, but give me some here. We are his body. He is our soul. You see, God loves us. I think we have a hard time believing that God identifies with us. We have this imagination, uh, this, uh, we've imagined that God is up here, unavailable, not touchable, unmovable. We're down here living our lives. But the way it's explained here is that when we feed the hungry, we feed God. When we shelter the homeless, we shelter God. When we love others, we love God. You see, he's actually connected, intertwined with us. And we could spend a whole another message talking about the times that God was moved by people in the Scriptures. We have a hard time believing that, believing that God could be so intimate with someone who's so, I don't know, what's your adjective? Dirty? someone who's so shamed, someone who's so broken, someone who's so worthless, someone who's so hopeless. You fill in the blank. We have a hard time believing that God could be so intimate with someone like that. We have to understand that Jesus is God, and Jesus came to show us what love is, not only by his death on the cross, which was the ultimate sacrifice, and we're unbelievably grateful that he could set us free that way but that's not the only way he showed us he loved us in his life he showed us how to love and that he loved us 
That's why he was able to say, as I have loved you, so you should love others. As we begin to really understand and grasp what love is, and that God loves us so much, can you, can you really just take a moment and imagine that he really does love you? Man, I think we grow up with such, I know I did. I don't know about you, I don't want to speak into you, but I grew up with such a distorted version in my mind of who God was. This is why I encourage you, study the scripture, read it, test everything I say, make sure that it's true, that it jives, that it's scriptural, that it's biblical. Because the God that I've discovered, the God who I've found, loves me. And, and when I really understood that he loves me, no matter my faults, don't get me wrong, he, he requires me to step towards him. But he loves me. When I figured that out, when I discovered that, it changed everything about me. I can remember when Morgan was born. 13, so this is just 13 years ago now, right? I mean, it's, it's a while ago, but not that while ago. I remember thinking, I wonder if she's going to be born with some birth defect or something because of some sin that I had committed. Like, that's who I thought God was. And let me say this, that was wrong. God's not trying to punish me. He's trying to love me. It wasn't long after that that I grasped, probably just to it, it may, may, that may have been part of the process that I, I truly grasp that he loves me that he wants the best for me the problem is is that some of us today feel like Peter caught in the high priest courtyard having just denied Jesus three times catch, maybe catch a glimpse of Jesus being beaten over there and we just denied him maybe we feel like that or some of us feel like David caught in Nathan's narrative when Nathan called him out you remember that some of us some of us maybe feel like old noah hung over and shamed by our reckless behavior maybe some of us feel like elijah standing outside the cave and the wind of god is just ripping things up and we're scared to death of the judgment that may fall on us could god love someone so filthy as me would he really allow me to come into his presence? The answer is this, yes. Not because you are filthy, but because the blood of Jesus covers you. When you ask him, you stand before him uncondemned. So in your filthiness, no, you cannot stand in front of a righteous God. But when you ask Jesus to forgive you, his, the blood of his righteousness covers you. You can stand uncondemned in front of God heart bared and say thank you God for loving me Jesus for dying on the cross me being set free now I can stand in front of you man we're gonna close and here, here in a minute we're gonna sing a song as, as part of the closing prayer and I, I want you to listen to the words of the song because I want you to understand that understand what love is even in our sin 
God loves us. Okay? Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that His love is... Um, how, how can I say this? He loves us in spite of our sin. He doesn't love our sin. And in our sin, we cannot stand before Him. The only way we can is through Jesus Christ. But the fact remains that even in your sin, God loves you. Even in your brokenness, He comes beside you and is a shoulder for you to lean on. Just as He invites you into His everlasting arms to hold you forever. And that is what He's inviting you into today. He's inviting you into this place of intimacy with Him. Now, the, we've established that He loves us. He's inviting us to become intimate with Him. We do that by leaning on Jesus, allowing His blood to set us free. So I want to say, and the song that they're going to sing is, is really a, a just a reflective song. Some of you might know it, probably many of you won't. But it speaks about God wrapping His arms around us. Just can you imagine being held by God? Can you imagine that there He stands, arms open, and He's saying to us today, I love you so much. I just want to wrap my arms around you. I just want to hold you tight. I just want to love you. I want to be intimate with you. I only need you to step towards me. And it's all done in love. He loves us. We love others. So God, as we sing this song today, as we have this time of reflection, I really just ask that you would help us. Help us to understand what it means to become intimate with you. Thank you, Father, that you want to hold us, that you want to be close to us, that you want to be intimate with us. Help us to drop our walls to allow your love to sink in so that we can love others the way you've called us to. And by doing that, we show you love too. It's awesome. I don't know where everybody's at today, but as we, jump, as we go into this song, this time of reflection, just take a moment let this be our prayer today to allow God to hold you this morning. Ask Jesus to, if you haven't done this, ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins, that his blood might cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that you could stand in this intimate love with God.